The financial services game is changing and banking as a service is leading the charge. We've interviewed some of the industry's biggest change makers in our brand new six-part documentary video series, Decoding Banking as a Service, which has just launched on our YouTube channel. Jump inside the minds of some of the biggest names in the space and find out why Bass is so hot right now and how your business can reap the benefits. To watch the current episodes and get instant updates when new ones are released, head to bit.ly forward slash decoding Baz. Okay, let's start today's show. From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. This week we bring you Stripe breaks into banking as a service with Stripe Treasury, Go Henry and Move complete new funding rounds, and Space Oddity as the Royal Mint sends a new David Bowie coin into space. All this and more on today's show. Welcome to episode 487 of Fintech Insider. I'm Sarah Kachansky, and today I'm joined by my colleague and co-host for today, Kate Moody. How are you doing today, Kate? Yeah, I'm doing doing nicely, thank you. Our um the eleven FS team sent out some like little mini remote Christmas trees, so you can't actually see it on this, but I've got a, a nice Christmas tree buddy joining me in, in my little work from home space, which is which cheered me up a lot this week. So that's, thank you very much to every everyone who organised that. Yes, it was rather amazing. These Christmas trees came through the letterbox. They were flat packed and they're real. They're they're, they're live foliage. But it, I opened the box and thought, what on earth am I looking at? It took me a while to get there. Um, we are, of course, not alone. We are joined uh, remotely by some awesome guests. So making his FinTech Insider debut, we have Alex Zivoda, CEO of GoHenry. Welcome to the show. Um, how are you doing? I think you've, you've had uh, quite a good week. Thank you, Sarah. Doing very well indeed. Quite a good week. I'm happy to be here uh, because, uh, as I was telling your crew just before we started, Spotify told me last week that uh, FinTech Insider is my number one podcast in 2020. It's the one I listened to the most. So I'm happy to be at last on stage and not just listening. Oh, well, we are very flattered. Um, it's, it's great great to know you listen to us. And also, you know what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, and we are also joined by Wade Arnold, CEO of Move.io. Welcome to Fintech Insider. Also, a good week for you and the team. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on, but how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on here and just thank well, uh, you know, Sam or Simon isn't on this call in order to make fun of me throughout the entire interview process. <laughs> that was a deliberate move. We, we wanted it to be a nice experience for you. <laughs> I appreciate that, Sarah. <laughs> if, it's any, if it's any consolation, I normally make a lot of fun of Sam. So I try and give it back as, you know, to balance things out a bit. Somebody needs to, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Uh, so the first story today is that Stripe has announced an embedded business banking service called Stripe Treasury. Uh, the new product um, is brought to you in partnership with Goldman and City, and it will offer a banking as a service API. Uh, so a developer can take advantage of Stripe Treasury to enable customers to open bank accounts, move money and pay bills directly from their service by triggering Stripe's APIs. Uh, combined with Stripe issuing, clients can also issue a virtual or physical card and connect it to a bank account. Um, so, you know, slowly Stripe is building products that cover a bigger chunk of the payment chain. Uh, just an example here for you that Shopify has already announced that it will use Stripe Treasury for Shopify balance. So if a Shopify merchant wants to hold 
money, pay bills and spend money from their Shopify account, then they can open a bank account in Shopify Balance directly. Um, so basically, you don't, they don't need to have a traditional bank account. Everything is handled uh, within Shopify. So um, thoughts on this one? Who wants to go first? I don't mind. I don't mind kicking us. I think we actually, you know, when we recorded the the show last week, you know, this was this was just breaking. I think before we before we recorded the show last week, so we've had a little bit of time now to start to see how people are are reacting to this. And it's obviously, you know, it's not a surprise that Stripe are continuing to launch innovative new new products and in, interesting new partnerships. But I think this one definitely has has created a bit of. Uh, concern perhaps uh, in some of the kind of people that we've been speaking to I think it's potentially prompting quite a lot of these uh, bigger financial institution brands to really realize that banking as a service isn't just a nice topic you can talk about it's something that you've actually got to have an approach for you've got to be able to to move and obviously um great to, to be joined by by way so we can chat about what you guys are doing in this space as well but you know I think this is just another uh, recognition of the fact that you know you can't just talk about banking as a service now you have to actually be launching products and getting things out into the market um, because otherwise stripe and i'm sure lots of other providers are just going to come and eat up the, the opportunity space which is building up yeah you know i think i think stripe is quite clearly perfectly positioned to have done this it, it's a very complementary service to, to its to the rest of you know its, its suite of products um and obviously they have uh, the 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 tech know-how understand the nuance and, and also the resources to get it done because i don't imagine it was a cheap or an easy uh, easy build this um wade uh, alex any thoughts to me the biggest winner here is city and goldman these are two established financial institutions that are super successful in, in commercial banking, but you don't really think, at least in the United States, of, of Citi or Goldman being a huge retail presence. And so to align themselves with Stripe as a distribution channel in order to grow that type side of retail deposits, cheap deposits, non-interest income is, to me, you know, the most brilliant piece of, of this announcement. Um, from a Stripe side, what I've always enjoyed about Stripe is, you know, they they are able for a certain set of users, you know, as long as you look act like them, to have the most simple developer experience, turn turnkey experience. And so, you know, I'm just excited to see the proliferation of of platform companies and marketplaces that have financial services embedded inside of them to create better user experiences. So, bravo to them. Alex, you know, is this, it, I, I can't tell um, whether you're, you're looking sceptical um, or whether you're, you're, you know, uh, agreeing with what Wade's saying there. I was agreeing with what Wade said. I was just uh, uh, thinking of, uh, of Stripe and of uh, Collis and Patrick. Uh, what I like about Stripe, which is really, really difficult to, to persistently get right, is the, the rigor and the focus. I mean, they, these guys are completely focused on what they do, which is actually they don't want to become a bank. I don't think they see them anywhere, any day becoming a bank. But this this idea, uh, which I think Patrick uh, phrased very clearly in, uh, in one of the first interviews he did, probably actually with you guys, uh, he, he stated it as Stripe is a permissionless global payments and network, uh, treasury network. And this idea of like sticking to it and just doing that that that's fantastic. I mean, you see a lot of companies uh, uh, that after after a little while they start wading off into going off piste into some direction. These guys are just going after what they have said they would do from day one. Excellent. Congratulations to them. I think uh, yeah. I don't know what will stop them actually. I really don't know what will stop. 
Really I think just to add to that point, you know, about how, you know, world domination coming their way, obviously Stripe does operate in, in more than one country. It's not just in the US. Um, and I think uh, it looks like it's that they're going to they're gonna look to be able to roll this um, this product out uh, in other countries as well with, with other banking partners. Um, do you think that's something that, that banks should be should be in other countries should be putting their hands up? Do you think they should be saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is uh, me, 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 you're coming to the UK, you know, pick me. Do you think there'll be competition from the banks to, 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 to do this? Or do you think that, as you know, they, they could be quite sceptical about working with Stripe? So for me, working with, I've worked with Goldman and, and worked with the team at City as well. And, you know, their view of their platform and, and offering up uh, their services is, you know, very thoughtful. And, and both of them being global banks allow for them to expand uh, into other markets for Stripe. You know, to me, if I'm a, the competition, if I'm a different bank, I, I wouldn't be as afraid of Stripe as I would be of Goldman and Citi uh, being willing to do the partnerships both with directly with Stripe or through other channels, whether that's Lyft or Uber or Amazon. Um, to me, that's the thing that other financial institutions need to be worried about is, is companies um, as progressive as Goldman and, and City going out and creating those partnerships and, and providing that as this high-end, high, high transactional uh, treasury management that, that in 2020 we call banking as a service. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, we've talked but on recent weeks about you know the announcements around um, you know, Googleplex and, and Google Pay. You know, that's obviously got partnerships with, with City, and we obviously, as you mentioned, Goldman have, have been partnering with with Amazon. So yeah, we, I think the the combination of all of these things together, I think, means that we're in a totally different position at the end of 2020 than we maybe were at the start of the year in terms of how you know, rival banks will be thinking about their options now that these big players have, have made these moves and opened themselves up to these partnership models. Yeah, I don't see any difference between City partnering with Google as a distribution channel and understanding that Google may be good at customer acquisition uh, versus Stripe, you know, same platform that backs both of those service offerings. It does show perhaps City and Goldman. I mean, we kind of already knew it about Goldman, but it does show City and Goldman perhaps as being quite progressive. You know that that they're, they're, they've gone for multiple partnerships here as well, where you know where other banks may have thought, "Oh no, not sure about that." Or I mean, I don't know which way around it was done. I don't know if Stripe approached Goldman, Goldman approached Stripe. You know, whether Stripe said we're thinking of doing this and went round and you know did some first dates with people to see who it might work well with. But um, I, I I think you know also as we sort of commented here, I, th- I think it shows the banks in quite a good light as well. Um, that they are willing, open, and progressive um, to, to doing these things. Right. And, and both those institutions are not going to go down market. So I'm sure Goldman is perfectly happy helping Lyft and and having that white glove approach and that opportunity. But why not partner with a banking as a service that has a great consumer brand like Stripe in order to take it to the masses? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think will happen to, I mean, it's a question to all of us, what do you think will happen to to the other banks? Because these are two global banks, right, City and, and Goldman. Well, what about the national bank? What about the local bank in the US? You have like thousands of them. What will that mean for them? Is Stripe, I mean, will Stripe become a partner or a threat to them? Or will there be a sort of uh, alliance being built between all these banks as we have alliances in the sky? I mean, we had COVID, everyone is, <laughs> all the planes are down. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, th- this could be a tectonic shift. This this move by, by Stripe. So I think the next five years will tell us how the market reacts. 
Yeah, I think um, you know, to to Wade's point, I think you know, for Goldman and City, this this is opening up a new market. But I think if you think about you know, Shopify as the example, you know, businesses, merchants on that platform will be able to open a bank account within one ecosystem. You know, we've been doing various bits and pieces, like looking at you know who might be banking, who might have previously been banking those types of emerging businesses. And you know, we did that as part of our sort of SMB research at the start of this year. And there was a whole mix, but you know, we saw examples of, of local banks, emerging fintechs. You know, we didn't really speak to anyone who was banking with, with Goldman or City. So I think, as you say, Alex, I think it's definitely going to be other banks that will be looking at this and worrying that potentially they might be losing out on customers who could have been growth businesses in the future but you know they probably weren't doing a very good job necessarily in, in kind of capturing those those banks already historically well definitely one to watch i think um but with that i'm just going to move us on to our next story uh this is that uk-based kids bank account app go henry has raised 40 million dollars um so the, the the funds will be used to uh to to fund expansion in the UK um, and the US. Um, for those not in the know, GoHenry, which was founded eight years ago, offers accounts for children that are used by 1.2 million parents and children. Um, its mission is innovation in digital banking and payments and to revolutionize financial education to help 16 to 18-year-olds learn good money and financial habits in an increasingly cashless world. Uh, the company has doubled its customer base annually over the past six years and notably has been profitable since March of 2020. Uh, through the GoHenry app, parents provided, uh, well, UK parents provided £98 million in pocket money in 2019. I think kids get more pocket money than I did. Um, and their children were paid uh, more than £2.2 million for completing tasks around the house. Uh, also in 2019, GoHenry's young customers directly contributed just under £100 million to the UK economy, with children donating more than £53,000 to GoHenry's UK charity partner, the NSPC. So, Alex, I think perhaps we'll come to you on this one first. Um, first of all, congratulations, as we said. Uh, secondly, can you tell us a bit more about this round and, and what you plan to do with the money, you know, this time and perhaps beyond? Yeah, uh, thank you for, for the congratulations. It's an important <clears throat> milestone in our, in our journey. It actually happened almost day for day, eight years after the very first transaction of a kid named uh, Henry. Uh, and yeah. Hence, go Henry. Um, we um, we of course will be using uh, the funds that we have now raised to continue our expansion in the US, which uh, we we launched there in 2018. So we've done a lot of tests over the last uh, couple of couple of years, and now we are ready to really scale and continue our scaling in the UK, uh, but also explore a new distribution. Hence, uh, City uh, becoming coming in the round. Also exploring uh, new countries, hence uh, Gaia, uh, who is a French uh, uh, private equity round uh, coming in as well. So um, we are very happy because um, we have had a bit of an unusual story. When you look at our funding story, we have been, as every startup, we have started with uh, families' money, then friends and families' money, then friends of friends' money, and then we added <laughs> Crowdcube, so the crowd, and we, we ended up with... Uh, 5,002 different rounds with 5,000 shareholders, half of which are our customers. Uh, and then we top it up now with, or we continue it rather, with the 40 million that we, we raised from, from the, four, the four funds. Uh, this, is, this is a great, and it's just the beginning of the, of the, of the story because the space is huge. Uh, if you just think of the, the UK and, and the US, in the UK there are about 6 million children 
who receive some pocket money uh, every week in the US, 39 million. So this is combined 45. And it's a market very diverse and, and diversifying. And we can talk about that uh, a bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, does anybody else want to to, to, to jump in and, and, and respond to, to any of Alex's points there? Or shall I... Uh... Should I lead? Yeah, you go no, for it, Kate. You go for it, no, Kate. No, well, yeah. Firstly, I add my add my congratulations to to Sarah. It's been really exciting news for you guys. And I think you know we we've always been super interested at Eleven FS in watching kind of the emergence of fintech provision for for younger customers. And it's something that has obviously really exploded, particularly over the last few years. You know, in the US, the UK. Um, obviously, you guys doing well with what you do, but you know, Revolut also launching their junior proposition, Starling, um, Greenlight in the US, um, Rooster Money. So lots of different kind of players in this space. So it's exciting to see the industry starting to kind of think about how they can help children interact with kind of the, the you know digital economy and kind of starting to manage money safely kind of through, through digital technology. So I think it's Obviously, it's super exciting for, for you guys individually, but I think also really interesting because it will um, yeah, obviously create the greater focus around this as an area um, and hopefully make, uh, well, maybe not for you guys, but hopefully make some of your competitors sort of step up as well and really think about how they keep pace with you guys as, as you grow. So hopefully it will really kind of increase competition, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's clear. I mean, there wouldn't be this many people, uh, people companies entering this space um, uh, if there wasn't an opportunity here. Um, maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about what that opportunity actually is, because whilst providing financial education to, to children is, a, is an uh, you know, enviable uh, goal, um, that's, you know, what, what's the wider business opportunity here with children? You know, it, where, where do we, is it the parents themselves or is it, you know, getting the, the, the children on board as customers um, and then, you know, bringing them along for, for, for a journey with other financial services products as they get older? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe Alex, if you could talk a little bit about what Go Henry's sort of strategy is on that, as much as you can say publicly. Um, and then we can have a discussion about, you know, maybe other competitors' strategies. Sure. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm often asked the, the, this question, um, and uh, probably some people are surprised to to hear me reply that our sole focus is to help every child be good with money. So we are not going beyond that, uh, and so it's already a very difficult job as such, because when you think of it, um, take a child who is six and goes through to the age of eighteen, right? In these ten, twelve years, this child changes more than probably he will change after the rest of his life, right? So you have to build a product and you have to build a brand that can satisfy that child going through these two or three stages of evolution of themselves, their personality, the way they manage money, etc. So that's one. Second, you have to do the same for the parents because we are selling our services to the parents, Right. So the complexity of like creating this brand and creating this product that that ages with the child, this is already a lot of work for the 160 people that are, that, that we employ. Uh, and so um, when you when you ask a question about what's next, my, my, my reply is, well, let's first get that one right. We're not finished. We are just starting <laughs> this journey. We're just starting this journey. And just on that journey, there is a lot to do, believe me. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I can, I can see that. Um, you know, Kate, Wade, do you, do you see any other? Are there any other sort of obvious opportunities here for, that that you see in this space that businesses can can take advantage of? So one one thing Alex said about the community bank marketplace in the United States that 
Um, I, I don't think Stripe has uh, any risk of, of upsetting the community bank relationships in the U.S. I do think that products like GoHenry that redefine what a community is and can take those deposits away, to me, that's the real opportunity by having, you said, 160 individuals. I assume that's going to expand focused on a, a very defined market segment. Um, you know, that community of youth is a very large community rather than the community of uh, where I'm from, Bethnorf, Iowa, uh, which, you know, is right off the Mississippi. And, and that's what defines our community. And that's in the logo of half the banks in that town is a, is a Mississippi bridge or, or river. And so I think as these service providers come in and, and really appeal to the niches that they can service better, that's going to be the new definition of what a community is. And, and to me, that, that risks the geographical community that has established the 15,000 banks and credit unions in the United States. Yeah, Kate, if you, did you want to add? Oh, sorry, Alex. I, was, I don't know who's going to go first. <laughs> I, no, I, I, fully, I fully agree with, with, with Wade. And um, it is something that actually we, uh, of course, we are focused on our mission, but we, we got to realize the power of our mission as we start implementing it and delivering it, right? So when you, when you hear or when you read, let me take this example, when you read customers, parents or children who are writing to us, we don't have a lot because we don't have a lot of children who are aged 17, 18 and 19. So basically who are leaving us because we don't offer them anything anymore, but who are writing to us saying, uh, I have to go now. Uh, I would just like to say thank you for these years that we've been together. Uh, thank you very much. I mean, you, you don't see, I don't think banks get this type of spontaneous mails from their customers, right? So, so that means that you are hitting a chord. Something is right. And yeah, I mean, our customers tell us they just, they just love the product. They understand the value. Parents love it and kids love this empowerment. So I think we, we, we have, back to my comment first on Stripe, stay focused, rigorous on what you do and wonders will happen. Yeah, I think um, yeah, thinking. But I remember you know, back when I was a kid, like the power of being able to spend and buy something yourself for the first time. That's a hugely um, memorable and kind of powerful moment. So, yeah, I think the the brand association you must have is is incredibly powerful. I suppose that must be why that's why you must keep getting these questions about you know, what do you do next because people see the the affinity that you have and they wonder how you how you carry that carry that through. So, you know, in a previous life, I used to do um, you know research with, with Nando's who are kind of a, a popular restaurant here in the UK and they focus on students and children and sort of sustain that through adult life in a slightly embarrassing way as uh, someone in their 30s who still goes to Nando's um, but yeah so people are looking people are excited to see kind of whether you could take that that brand relationship that you build with children I suppose and, and carry that through into, into student accounts or into you know those early years of professional life when um, money worries really start to become much more risky we see so many young people kind of making bad decisions with credit um kind of really creating problems for themselves so i suppose that must be why you get the questions that you get um, yes no but the, the, these questions of course are very good and i'm not saying that we will not do anything but i'm just always you have to put things in perspective and you always have to think of today right the time uh, time is the most precious resource of anyone but in particular of an entrepreneur and of a company right how you spend your time how you make your people spend their time 
This is so critical. So if you start going into too many different places, you might lose what you have actually, what actually you are really made for. So we, of course, we have a lab. Of course, we are testing ideas. And of course, we will come up next year with new ideas and you will invite me again to the show to talk about that. But what I'm saying is the following. You cannot have these ideas. They cannot go live unless you have the trust of your customers. Otherwise, you just forget about it. It, it makes no sense, right? You have to build a customer base. You have to build a, and the relationship to your customers just such that they love you. Unless you achieve that, there is nothing your lab can produce better. So that's the key. Stay All right. Focused. Well, we will we will look forward to having you back next year when hopefully we're still your number one podcast and uh, you can tell us what you've done next. Um, with that, we're just going to take a quick pause whilst we hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on first name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human centered services that put the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud based, core connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. Buy now, pay later. Is it a force for good or in need for heavier regulation? Whether you're team love or team hate, join the buy now, pay later debate at our After Dark event on Tuesday, the 15th of December. Get ready for a gripping debate followed by networking and the chance to win some awesome swag during our virtual bingo. Head to bit.ly forward slash December After Dark to secure your seat now. Okay, uh, welcome back. Um, our first story for this second half is that Move has raised $27 million in a Series A round led by Andreas and Horowitz. Uh, Move helps businesses embed transactional banking tools directly into their apps or while being flexible. Uh, it can be used with different bank software, for example. Um, it closed the round uh, off the back of a $5.5 million seed round back in August that was led by Matt Harris at Bain Capital. Um, as part of the raise, Angela Strange, a general partner at A16Z, will be joining Move's board along with Harris. And the raise will allow Move to build out um, its, its suite to meet key client demands, for example, uh, more methods for transferring funds. Um, what differentiates Move in large part is that the technology it creates is open source, meaning it's freely available to access online on the code sharing website GitHub and open for discussion on a public Slack channel. Um, so they believe that this is what investors uh, got excited about. Um, Move's open source community creates a highly reliable, down-to-the-core primitive building block, said Angela Strange, since so many developers can contribute to the code. Um, Wade, I'm going to come to you first on this one. First of all, congratulations again. I felt like we should all have champagne for, for this episode. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit more about this um, and you know what it's like to be welcoming uh, two new people onto your board? Absolutely. So we're obviously super excited about having Angela join our board and and the entire team at at Andreessen Horowitz. So we've you know Angela's wonderful Peter Levine who is on on the board of GitHub has has also become a board advisor and and Sima's um, just one of the smartest people in fintech. So really powerful team that that we're joining there along with Ashley and and Matt Harris at at Bain Capital. So a lot of you know these are two VCs that have been in this space for a long time, 
and have seen kind of the underpinning problems that have kept some of their portfolio companies from scaling. And I think um, we're now 10 years into this fintech game and and there's now enough people that realize, hey, uh, you know, building a new go-to-market strategy on top of something that doesn't work ultimately, you know, is a reflection on that brand. And so we've chosen a totally different approach to go after it with with open source and an open community and and having a ton of fun doing it. What was it like uh, within the investment process, kind of explaining your, your open source approach? Was it something the investors just got straight away or did it did it take a while to kind of get your, your narrative across? I think so. When we started raising money during COVID, um, I think that COVID made it difficult to uh, explain the dynamics of the community, but but have also allowed the community to grow. So you know, having over a thousand operators and developers in our Slack channel um, from all walks of life and all over the world is is probably one of the more powerful pieces because we've gone in 18 months from having nothing to you know, probably the most reliable um, ACH, wire, OFAC, sanction search, uh, um, image cache letter, uh, ISO 20022, like these these really nerdy protocols, right, that, that uh, allow you to connect to the networks. The only way they can be hardened is is through lots of transactions. And so a lot of the kind of incumbent legacy providers say, well, we've been running this COBOL code for 30 years and and so you should trust it. And we can come back and say, well, you know, Square and PayPal and Bank of America and uh, all these other companies uh, utilize it and have run trillions of transactions through the open source libraries in the last six months. And, and so which one would you rather use. And oh, by the way, ours has test coverage and works in any cloud provider and all these other things that are, are pretty relevant in 2020. So do we think that open source is the future then? I know that um, we've we've seen quotes um, that, that, that say as much, you know, there's, there's um, one from uh, Ben uh, Metz uh, from Jack Henry, um, who bought Moves, this Moves CEO's first business. Um, and he said that in our decoding documentary, that open source platforms are going to be table stakes in the future and that no one is going to be able to keep their source private. Do we agree? I think Wade probably does, but I don't know if Kate and, uh, Kate and Alex do. You know, where I think it's, I think it's different is um, Alex and I have been in the software world for a while. So you know, 20 years ago, we used to say we're built on, you know, the Windows.NET stack and we're using uh, Microsoft SQL Server, right? Or, or this is built on Oracle Rack or, um, you know, Oracle Cube. And, and part of your software was we're, we're part of this other ecosystem. And, um, you know, even in, in the late um, around 2010, people were still differentiating their product offering because they were in a cloud, you know, that we're, we're, we're running on AWS. Now you just kind of sound silly if you're not in the cloud, right? And so I think it's a progression of how technology works. Um, I assume GoHenry doesn't have in their go-to-market strategy that they use, you know, Postgres or MongoDB or Oracle or Elastic or Linux or, you know, any of these underpinning technologies that allow them to, to differ, you know, build their product and differentiate in the market. And, where Move agrees with this momentum is that 
Well, ACH in the United States is 40 years old. The, the credit reporting standard is 90 years old in the United States. It's a flat file format. Um, these are solvable problems that release a ton of value if every single startup doesn't need to go recreate them. And now it's up to the startup to decide you know, how I'm going to orchestrate them, how I'm going to use them to be differentiator. And so it is critical infrastructure, but by no means is it a critical differentiator for anyone. Uh, Wade, can I ask you a question? Um, Absolutely. What is there an economic model behind? What? How does it work uh, for Move? Will you? How will you make uh, money? What? What's the plan there, if there is any? So that is the number one question that every VC asks. Um, <laughs> I have seen too many of them. Maybe that's why. I'm yeah. this question. <laughs> so uh, I think there's great models out there that. Value is created in multiple ways. You know, some value can be created in a proprietary technology stack, right? And and this is our secret sauce. And you know, if if I'm an artificial intelligence company, you know, that's probably the right place to have your proprietary technology. Uh, but for infrastructure plays, we see open source uh, being monetized in other forms of value, right? So let's use comps like Cloudera with the Hadoop ecosystem, uh, Elastic with you know, if you have autocomplete search and you're not Google, you use Elastic. A MongoDB um, uh, uh, confluent with, with Kafka. These are great models where the value creation that they provide is for developers to get to market faster. And in a highly regulated space, you know, us being able to provide SOC 2s, SLAs, indemnification, connections to the networks, all these pieces are really important for production. But for a developer that just wants to, you know, generate a payment file or check a balance on their laptop, um, you know, that's a better developer experience, but they also don't need it to work at, at Target or, or Starbucks at that moment. But in production, it, it surely needs to be connected to the real network and, and allow that to happen. And so we see that value creation in, in, in the security, the shared services and all those pieces that go along with it. Um, you know, the other pieces that... Uh, most of our customers are very large uh, at, at high scale. So they've got 10 million consumers or billions of dollars of money that they want to transfer. And so that's not um, the bank in the box model doesn't work anymore. They need to be able to work with their commercial loan officer, work with their technology provider and, and really have more controls about around risk. Uh, underwriting and how that process works. And so we, we see most of our opportunities in consumers that are in that build versus buy. You know, there's not something off the shelf that, that they can uh, just utilize as a turnkey solution. And, and their search normally starts at GitHub. I like to say we're, we're the most popular fintech on GitHub. We may also be the only fintech on GitHub, so it <laughs> allows us to differentiate in that way. Um, so their developers are looking there and then they go, hey, you know, I don't want all this PII data on my servers. I, I, I want a dashboard. I want reporting. I want fraud mitigation. I want third-party integrations. And, and those are the pieces that we provide in our commercial products. Well, it sounds like um, we are definitely going to be seeing uh, more sort of people exploring the idea of open source, but we will be watching you closely to see what you do with that money. And um, we hope to have you back in 12 months as well to tell us, you know, how you've got on. Um, all right, we're going to uh, move 
to uh, Singapore now. Uh, Grab, Singtel and Ant Group have won digital banking licenses in Singapore. So the uh, four, four firms have been given licenses to run digital banks in the country um, in a move that would allow the tech giants to expand their financial services offerings. You know, Ant Group obviously being possibly the largest tech giant in the world, I would say it's probably fair to say. Um, the nation's central bank, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, known as MAS, said it applied a rigorous merit-based process to select a strong slate of digital banks. As these digital banks start their pilot operations, MAS said it will review whether more companies could also be granted licenses. Um, so two licenses went to a consortium between Grab and Singtel and Ant Group, and the other two licenses went to one entity wholly owned by internet giant C and a consortium of Greenland Financial Holdings, Link Logis Hong Kong, and Beijing Cooperative Equity Investment Fund Management. My God, what are they going to call their bank? They need to go snappier than that, I think. Um, we expect them to thrive alongside the incumbent banks and raise the industry's bar in delivering quality financial services, particularly for the current underserved businesses and individuals, said Maz MD Ravi Menon in a statement. Um, a handful of countries, including the UK, India and Hong Kong, have already streamlined their regulations in recent years to grant tech companies the ability to operate as digital banks. Uh, so thoughts on this one? Um, I suppose digital licenses generally, or, or perhaps uh, people have some specific knowledge about Singapore? I don't have specific knowledge of, of Singapore, but this just reminds me of, of what we were talking about in, in Hong Kong not long ago. It still feels like a very similar process um, in terms of you know, issuing these licenses and sort of rounds, similar sorts of numbers, I think, you know, when Singapore were, sorry, I'm um, getting confused, Hong Kong uh, were giving out their kind of licenses for these first sort of digital only propositions. I think, as you were saying kind of in the intro, Sarah, like some of these, some of the underlying companies that have been awarded them don't obviously we look at grab and and ant and get very excited about those but some of the other ones where we definitely need to still wait and see what they've pitched to the to the authority as kind of their their offer for singaporean consumers so you know we know that singapore as a market is maybe not sort of underserved is in the way that we might expect sort of globally other markets but there are definitely sort of specific needs that consumers there have um, and it's you know a market that people in the team have been working this year. So it's definitely an interesting space and one where I think interesting propositions will start to emerge anyway in the next couple of months, but this is only going to accelerate it further. Yeah, I think it's interesting that two of the licenses, so Grab, Singtel and C have got consumer bank account licenses um, and Ant and Greenland Financials Consortium, which I'm not going to say again, you just have to trust me, it's that one, um, will serve, they've got licenses to serve small and medium-sized businesses. So I think it's really interesting this decision to uh, award equal licenses to, to, to an equal number of different types of licenses um, because what we've seen perhaps in other markets, you know, the UK, for example, we saw the consumer uh, banks sort of come through first digital only and then the SME banks sort of slightly follow on. Um, I think it's, you know, my, my personal thought on this is that it's it's a good approach to see that even-handed um, distribution. Um, what what do other people people think on this? Um, you know, is, is this, is it, is it an interesting group of companies that have got the licenses and also do you think that dual focus on consumers and, and SME is, is the right approach to take? What I'm excited about is, I mean, you're seeing this as a more global trend even and the tech providers that are enabling better financial services. And you, you can't argue that um, even what Alex is doing at GoHenry is not a better digital experience for his consumers, right? And so across the globe, we're starting to see um, 
the definition of what a bank is uh, change a little bit. In the United States, having somebody like Square Capital uh, have an ch- uh, industrial loan charter, you know, having Varo uh, have a charter, having Kraken, a, a crypto exchange, having a charter. Uh, I like seeing these new types of charters to allow access in a defined way into the financial services industry uh, rather than you know having this gray area that I think is a, a risk spot between the tech company and the financial institution uh, when when the tech companies get massive scale. So hope to see more of this trend in, in every global market. Um, and I think it's going to ultimately just serve consumers better. Alex, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I think this is a trend that will uh, continue. I mean, COVID-19 uh, will exacerbate the need to actually uh, change the banking system. Uh, when people cannot, I mean, a lockdown, you cannot go to your branch anymore. You, you, you have to do something digitally. So it's really good to see uh, another regulator taking the step. I mean, they didn't start with COVID. That was prepared quite a, quite a few years ago. Uh, but I think this, this trend will, will continue. It just follows the changes in our lives. Uh, I mean, we we see it at GoHenry. I'll just take one little example. During lockdown and COVID-19, we have seen a surge in the, the amount of money that was sent by grandparents to their grandchildren because they couldn't, of course, given the situation, they couldn't meet anymore. And so this is where you see that a small, at our, at our scale, right, a small digital tool uh, in the financial space can make real life uh, better. So digital, digital should not be seen, digitalization should not be seen negatively. Which is, so it's always like a bit framed as, oh, this is bad for jobs, bad for, for society. No, it's what we do about it, but it's happening anyway. So better frame it as they did in Singapore or as they did in the UK. Better frame the, 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 the future rather than be passive and, and let actors decide. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, was, I think one thing that's interesting about this is that they had you know, 21 firms that applied. So obviously there's good interest. You know, there was interest waiting to be supported by this this change. But you know, 14 met the criteria, but then they've only decided to give four out in the first instance. So I think it's, I don't know if they've released kind of the, the rationale behind that, but you, know, you could you could assume that they, they want to kind of make progress. They want to move forward and make things easier, but they're kind of doing it in a way that, they as an authority can can monitor, you know, they're not just going to kind of throw out licenses left, right and centre and just like let the market kind of fight it out completely. They're going to to monitor this and, and make sure that they can innovate and implement change in a way that will kind of counterbalance some of those fears maybe that, that you talked about, Alex, in the market, that digitalization is all bad. You know, they're going to work hopefully closely with these with these companies to make sure they're doing things responsibly and, and kind of using the license in the way that it's been intended. I think I think that's the point, and that's why I think regulation-led um, innovation in areas like this is so important because you have a twofold. One, you have the regulator who can keep an eye on what people are doing and, and check that you know cons- customers or consumers, small businesses aren't going to be adversely affected. But two, on the other hand, I think it's quite encouraging for regulators says, "Come on, we want to do this, guys, and we'll help you do it." Um, it it's encouraging for a market. It gives it sort of stimulus, and I, I think it can help stimulate innovation. I mean, I would say that I'm, I'm a bit biased. I'm, I'm quite a big fan of the FCA over here in the UK and their approach. And I, I think Maz looks like it's, it's following a, a similar line. Um, but yes, I think I think positive story. Yeah, Alex, final thoughts. Yeah, it, it, uh, uh, when we say that regulation has to play a role, it also, again, it's always a, nu- a nuance in everything. Uh, it depends on how regulators play the role. 
if it's an outcome-based regulation where basically the regulation sets, this is the outcome we expect you to achieve, the actors in the space, you do the way you want, but this is what you deliver. That's one thing, which is good. If it's like prohibitive, like if it just says these are like very restrictive and these are the actions you can take and not take, that's not good, right? So it's this balance between you have to do a frame. I think a frame helps, but the frame has to help the actors actually deliver what the regulator thinks is good for society or for the space. So an outcome-based approach is very important. I completely agree. I completely agree on that. Um, all right. Well, we'll another one to wait and see, and we'll see how many more banks get licenses over in Singapore, if indeed any more do. Um, we're moving on now uh, to Deutsche Bank, uh, which is going to move the heart of its IT systems into Google's cloud. So Deutsche Bank expects to ultimately replace large parts of its core banking system with alternatives per powered by Google as the German lender embarks on its biggest effort yet to modernize computer systems that have hampered it for years. Uh, Deutsche Bank and Google finalized a cloud computing agreement under which Deutsche plans to shift most of its data onto Google servers. Um, Both firms also agreed to jointly develop products, including new lending offerings and retail apps. Um, And the two companies expect to sell some technology that they develop together to other financial services providers as white label products and split the revenue. Exactly how much of its systems Deutsche Bank will move into Google's cloud will depend on legal, regulatory, and data privacy considerations. Um, And the contract is set to last at least 10 years. uh, And Deutsche Bank expects to make a cumulative return on investment of a billion euro through the alliance. That's quite a nice round number. I'm not quite sure they got to to that. Um, It's interesting. I think this is a really interesting one. I think there's interesting uh, commentary both on Deutsche Bank's decision and also, you know, to to be talked about Google's uh, move into becoming sort of a software provider for financial services. I think I think we've seen quite a lot of evidence of that lately, particularly Kate, as you referenced with the, the Plex product. I think that's a, another signal that they might be going down that route. Um, Wade, do you have any thoughts on this? I do. I couldn't be more excited about this. As somebody who was explaining to FFIC auditors in 2008 what AWS was, um, I'm excited that in 2020, we actually have commitment from a global financial institution into a cloud provider. Uh, for me, you know, GCP or Google Cloud, uh, they're hiring of Yolanda Piazza, who is CEO of FinTech, to come in and start leading a strategy and uh, for Google Cloud inside of financial services. This, this, you know, I don't have any insider information, but this just looks like the type of deal that she could put together. And each one of these cloud providers are continuing in the same way that you know, main pay, mainframe providers needed to sell more services, more products. They need to grow revenue. I think we'll see continued capabilities from the cloud providers and make it easier and more turnkey for you to use their compute. So, you know, what a great win for Google. Um, and, and super excited to see what other financial institutions start actually embracing, moving, you know, the heart. I, I'm not sure what that means, but it seems like an important piece of the body. Into the <laughs> I was yeah. thinking, yeah, if the hearts move, where does the soul go? That's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. like, where's the oh, soul? That's the st- that soul's still in a raised floor. No okay. question about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I was going to say that's got, that got very philosophical, very, very quickly, very deep there. Um, I was just going to say that I think that's an important point because a lot of uh, you know banks that have you know publicly announced putting uh, services into the cloud, it's been it's been peripheral systems. It's it's not been kind of core bank systems it's been other things that, that sit around the edge um alex what, what are your thoughts on this one 
I think we will see more and more of this type of uh, news in the coming years because uh, high street banks are today squeezed, uh, getting more and more squeezed between two forces that are really for them. They have to figure them out. One is there is a macro trend. Interest rates are low and will remain low for a decade. So the spread they are doing on, on lending will, is, is getting thinner and thinner. So their revenue margins are going down. So that's one, one, one pressure from the top. And then you have the pressure from the bottom where they are now more and more competing with uh, competitors who have uh, one-tenth their cost base. Uh, and uh, they, they will have to figure, out, figure a way out. Uh, and in the UK, there is a third pressure, which is very peculiar to the UK, which is there is this political, um, like I would say, uh, agreement that banking should be free, right? So something would have to give at some stage if we want banks to, to survive. And so this type of deals for me is one of many to come. I don't know with whom will be the next, but uh, Google, Microsoft, I mean, you name these companies who will actually help uh, the banks uh, cut their costs that's for sure that will come absolutely i completely agree i think i think it probably will take one or two to take the plunge you know to go all in in, in on it and i don't imagine everything is going to go smoothly but you know well done to, to deutsche bank for um for being you know one of the first to do that um and i hope it goes as, as smoothly as possible so we do see more um more in this vein yeah this right. um this kind of randomly it's a bit random but it reminds me uh, many moons ago <laughs> where are you going <laughs> well many moons ago i had the privilege to go to australia and i remember going to a place where you could see penguins coming out of the sea and like I've migrating yeah it's amazing it's, it's brief but this kind of the story kind of reminds me of that because i feel all the banks are like the penguins that like on the edge of the water like looking up at the sand saying like someone go for it and as soon as one went like all the rest went. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that Deutsche are just the first penguin heading up the beach uh, because it's, yeah, it's, as, as Wade said, it, it's very exciting. Um, and as I said, there's, there's lots of pressures that have been holding them back legitimately and there's lots of concerns that they've had legitimately. But um, yeah, I hope, hope it's... I think I think I think the the penguin metaphors. I have to say, Kate, I'm loving it today. The philosophy and the penguin metaphors—they're they're winning. You're killing it, um, Wade. I will give you the final word, but I do now expect a penguin metaphor with it. Well, Penguin represents Linux and open source is the only way I can take that somewhere. But <laughs> the uh, the number to your point, Sarah, you know, one one billion—that's a material number. And, and to I think it's common for for startups to think about these huge IT budgets at all of the global banks and the billions that they spend and, and maybe the lack of innovation, but. But to Alex's point, you know, 10 to 1 is is probably on the low side of the efficiency gain to go from owning physical data centers, mainframes, network security, and, and migrating that to the cloud. So it, it, it should be interesting to see if freeing up a billion dollars, you know, what does that do for innovation inside of a global financial institution like Deutsche Bank? Well, we can, we can only hope. Um, for the best, I think, on, on that front. But yeah, absolutely, it's, it's it's a multifold win there. All right, we're going to move on now as we're getting to the end of the show. Um, we're just going to round up some of the other stories from the week that we didn't have time to cover, but we think still deserve a shout out. Kate, do you want to go first? Absolutely. So first up, story over from TechCrunch. Facebook adds cart to WhatsApp to make shopping easier. 
WhatsApp said it is adding the new feature after early positive response from some businesses that tested this feature recently. Carts are aimed at making it easier for consumers to buy multiple items from a business and for merchants to keep a better track of order inquiries and manage requests. But one missing element is support for payments. As of today, when a user places an order with a business on WhatsApp, both parties seem to be left up. You know, left on their own to figure out how the money will exchange hands. And WhatsApp hasn't had much luck with adding payments to its app so far. It was only recently that India permitted WhatsApp to roll out payments on its app to a larger subset of users. Brazil is the other market where WhatsApp rolled out payments this year, though the South American nation took no time in suspending the new service. Despite its gigantic reach, WhatsApp also makes little to no money as the app is mostly free to use and ad-free. It hopes commerce will help drive up profit margins but it stands to become a viable challenger to giants like Amazon and Walmart in emerging markets like India, where e-commerce is still at a nascent phase. So it's no surprise to see WhatsApp continue to evolve their, their commerce offering. I think on the last figures I saw, they had about 50 million businesses who were using the app um, you know, to kind of communicate with their customers and about 175 million people who were kind of messaging them on it. So it's you know, a huge reach. But um, you know, as, as we sort of touched on the main story, currently as of yet, not really monetizing that super successfully. And this update follows on from a release in October where they announced Facebook hosting services to host businesses' online assets and activity. And they also said at that point that they're going to start charging companies for using WhatsApp for business. So they clearly now feel like their their business customers are sufficiently dependent on them to to start ramping things up and trying to monetize them. But whilst it's definitely interesting, it does kind of feel like they're rolling out functionality in a much more incremental way than we've recently become accustomed to see from some of the other big tech giants, Google, for example, and the lack of simple payments functionality still feels like a massive gap. Um, Kind of makes you wonder how much their original planning might have been structured around Libra or DM as it's now known and how they've had to adjust to the delays that they've experienced there. Okay, well, the next story is that Mexican challenger bank Albo has raised $45 million to expand. Albo has nearly half a million customers across Mexico and a network of 30,000 retail locations where representatives can take deposits. Uh, it now has another $45 million to help it on its growth journey. Um, so it's thought the company has a 40% share of the digital banking market in Mexico. Uh, CEO and founder said the money will be used to expand into lending and insurance products, as well as a range of services. Uh, Albo offers in a similar route to uh, that of Brazil's new bank. The company is trying to bring the middle and low income uh, Mexican consumers into the banking system by making it easy for them to move from a cash-based world to a digital one. Um, which is why the company set up the network of 30,000 locations, including convenience stores and drug stores, so that it can accept deposits at the places where its customers frequent. Um, so I think nobody um, who listens to this podcast is uh, would be a surprise at all to see more uh, more financial service providers in, in South and, and, and Latin America gaining funding, because it really is, I think, the, one of the hottest spaces in the world right now. Um, there are an awful lot of people down there who are underserved financially um, and, and are still relying on cash-based economies, but it's also, I think, one of the most complex parts of the world, you know, even within, you know, Mexico and, and Brazil, there are there are millions of different cultural differences and nuances. And then, of course, you know, if, if, if you're looking to try and uh, work across countries or across borders like New Bank is, it becomes even more difficult. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to see an awful lot more of this in this space. And I, my, my personal opinion is that it's too early to pick the winners yet, except that I would say if you're going to look at the continent as a whole, then New Bank is a pretty good bet. 
yet. Um, it's out there, the front uh, front runner. But you know, as I said, each country has its own its own differences, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see um, leaders emerge across across each different territory. Cool. And the last story from CNBC is Revolut, Europe's $5.5 billion digital bank, if you've not heard of it, quietly broke even in November. So Revolut managed to break even in November, marking a strong rebound for the digital banking startup from the coronavirus crisis. Revolut's revenues dipped 40% in the early days of the pandemic, but are now 50% ahead compared to pre-COVID levels. Revolut's most recent accounts were released in August, showing the firm more than tripled its losses in 2019, despite a 180% increase in revenues. It's not the first time they've broken even. The company previously said it had done so in December of 2018. Revolut gets most of its income from interchange fees, which are generated each time a customer pays for something with their card. But it has been aggressively expanding into other areas of finance, such as investing and business banking. Whether Revolut can reach profitability depends on how fast we want to grow, said their CEO, Nick Storonsky. So um, you know, I suppose the headline said quietly broke even in November, but it's not that quiet if we're hearing about it in the news. So I think it's interesting timing for, for this to get announced, given that we've been chatting about Starling hitting profit over the last few weeks. So um, not surprising that kind of Revolu want to indicate that they're kind of turning things around, especially off the back of, of such a difficult and challenging year in 2020. Um, but yeah, as we touched on, I think it does need to be taken with a, a pinch of salt. You know, the most recent accounts show that they did um, triple their losses to, I think, 100, 106 odd million pounds um, last year. So they've still kind of got a, a way to go before they become profitable in a sustainable way. And it's not clear precisely what drove the performed the increased performance in this instance. But certainly the initial chat on the 11FS Slack was to kind of keep an eye on um, either the Bitcoin market and the kind of changes in, in the crypto offerings that they, they have built into the app. So they're definitely doing well to diversify and I'm sure they'll continue to do so and we'll have to keep an eye on what happens in 2021. And our and finally story. So a David Bowie coin has been launched towards space by the Royal Mint. Um, so quite literally, the commemorative coin was launched uh, celebrating the career of David Bowie. Um, the Mint sent the coin to an altitude of 35,600 meters as it revealed the third edition of its Music Legends series. Uh, the one ounce silver proof coin journeyed for 45 minutes at altitude before safely descending to Earth and is being offered at a competition prize. Uh, in recognition of Bowie's first hit, single space oddity we felt it was fitting to send his coin into space and celebrate the star man in his own pioneering fashion uh, said claire mclennan from the mint uh, the mint said the design of the bowie coin features the iconic lightning bolt motif and thanks to the latest innovative technology and manufacturing techniques the lightning bolt feature on bowie's face appears to be laced with stardust to create a glitter effect um what a waste of money <laughs> um any other initial thoughts on this? Well, I'm interested. We were chatting during the break, Wade, about kind of you know, the different kind of monetary preferences of your children. You mentioned one of your youngest is is keen on coins. So I wonder, would glittery coins be an even better thing, or would you think that would would not land so well? Well, she's six, and everything pinkalicious is perfect. So I'm sure she would love a glittery coin. And this goes to show that you know checks and and cash are never going away as long as we have such inspiring opportunities <laughs> to promote uh, uh, physical coinage. Yeah, I, I, I really, I mean, 
I've never really understood commemorative coins. I don't know if this is a thing in the US, but um, here in the UK, they're launched and you have to buy them. So it's like you buy a five pound coin with like, well, there was a very famous one that had uh, uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana's face on it um, when they got married. And I've never, even as a child, it never occurred to me to buy a coin. Um, so I, I find the whole concept a little strange, but maybe I'm I'm the wrong audience. I, I do like the glitter element, though. I will say I, I quite like a bit of glitter myself. Yeah, there's um, uh, a presentation that was done within our team recently by one of our uh, characters in the team, Ellen, who and who her recommendation for gift giving was was sovereign coins. So um, <laughs> she thinks that's kind of an excellent gift to give for Christmas. So maybe maybe sort of Bowie coins. She I'll, I'll be interested to see if she adds that to her list of of coins to give us gifts but I think it's it's definitely interesting I've got a couple of family friends who I saw in the past used to collect coins it was always nice to get you know the, the books out and kind of look from a history geek at heart so I love it kind of from that that uh, physical point of view and the historical point of view um but yeah not quite sure what they're what they're going to do next seems a little bit odd Alex any final thoughts on this yeah yeah Sarah you said that that was a waste of money I think uh I think they could have wasted a little bit more money and make it really more fun. Call Elon Musk, who has sent his car into space with uh, with a spaceman in the car, and maybe they could target the mint so it gets there. That would have been really fun. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think it's 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 a, a nice stunt, and I don't think we should perhaps try and read too much into it. Um, okay, that wraps up this week's news show. Uh, thank you so much to all of my guests. Where can people find out more about you, Alex? Oh, the simplest is you type CEO Go Henry, and you'll get to my LinkedIn. Uh, and the company is GoHenry.com. Uh, Perfect, Wade. How about you? You can find me on uh, GitHub or Twitter at Wade Arnold, or come check out what we're doing at Move at m o o v i o Move i o. Brilliant. Kate, how about you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Sadly, you cannot type in CEO and my name and find me quite just yet, but uh, just Kate Moody on on LinkedIn. uh, And I'm on Twitter uh, at k8.moody. Perfect. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps to make it better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider, or you can email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.